There's nothing like a lunatic to brighten up your day. It's fun for you to look at him and hear the people say. But never turn your back on him, he'll stick up from behind. Cause heaven only knows what's on his mind. Welcome to Rapidly Rotating Records, an hour of toe-tapping music from rapidly rotating 78 RPM records of the 1920s and 30s with yours truly, Glenn Robison. We've got dance bands, hot bands, sweet bands, show tunes, novelty tunes, blues, jazz, and more on everything from Aeolian to Xenophone and by everyone from Aronson to Zerky. On this week's show, we're going to get carried away. We'll remind you of a couple of important dates in January. And because we haven't done so in a while, have a three-segment edition of For No Particular Reason. There are a couple of very important dates in January to remember. On January 16, 1919, the 18th Amendment to the Constitution was ratified by the states, and one year later on January 17, 1920, it went into effect prohibiting the manufacture, sale, or transportation of intoxicating liquors for beverage purposes anywhere in the United States. So, where did folks go to get alcohol? Well, listen and find out. Everything up there's okay. Take it easy, take it easy. We've got a hunch. You won't go east, you won't go west. Well, we'll all go in a bunch. We'll be leaving in the summer, and we won't come back till fall. Goodbye, Broadway. Hello, Montreal. There'll be no more orange phosphates. You can bet your Ingersoll. Goodbye, Broadway. Hello, Montreal. We're on our way. We're on our way. We'll make hoop, hoop, hoopy night and day. There'll be photographs of breweries all around our bedroom wall. Goodbye, Broadway. Hello, Montreal. Oh, we won't get home until morning. Goodbye, Broadway. With a sign on the table. <laughs> Everybody's in a hurry, coming for the ride. Nobody knows how dry I am. 
Jack Kaufman didn't waste any time after Prohibition went into effect to get into the studio and record Irving Berlin's I'll See You in C-U-B-A on January 22nd. I've played Murray's version more than once, so you heard it there by our old friend Ted Lewis from Columbia 2927, recorded a few weeks later on March 14, 1920. You didn't know Ted Lewis could whistle like that, did you? We started that abbreviated Prohibition set with Fred Waring's Pennsylvanians heading to the Great White North with Hello Montreal, recorded by Victor and Liederkrantz Hall on March 29, 1928. 
Harry Warren wrote the tune and Billy Rose and Mort Dixon the lyric. Prohibition was repealed December 5, 1933, which I celebrate almost daily. I'm Glenn Robison, and you and I are listening to Rapidly Rotating Records. Back in mid-December, CNN reported that the president had told some aides that he might refuse to leave the White House on Inauguration Day, and the late-night talk show hosts had fun painting word pictures of him being carried out of the White House on January 20th. Turns out that's not so far-fetched, and an event was brought to my attention about someone else who had refused to leave his office. Back in the 1940s, Sewell L. Avery was the chairman of Montgomery Ward and Company. Avery was a captain of industry and ultra-right-wing uber-capitalist, active in efforts against labor and the New Deal, resulting in numerous disputes at the company and disrupting the economy of the Midwest. In 1942, in an effort to prevent strikes in industries critical to the support of the war effort, President Roosevelt created the National War Labor Board, which negotiated labor agreements between management and workers. Montgomery Ward supplied the Allies with items important to the war effort, but Sewell Avery refused to comply with the terms of three collective bargaining agreements made with the United Retail, Wholesale, and Department Store Union. On April 26, 1944, Roosevelt had had enough of Avery's defiance, and the Department of Commerce seized the company's plant in Chicago. Avery refused to leave and was literally carried by armed National Guard troops out of his office, into the elevator, down to the ground floor, and out of the building onto the sidewalk. Harry Hall of the Associated Press took the most famous of several journalists' photographs of the event. So for this segment, we're going to get carried away, beginning with the Arcadia Serenaders.
player and actor Harry C. Brown, accompanying himself on Oh Boys Carry Me Long, written by Stephen Foster. Columbia A2622 was recorded July 9, 1918. We started off with the Arcadian Serenaders with Carry It On Down, recorded by an OK Field unit in St. Louis around October 26, 1925. Carry It On Down was a Serenaders original, written by Sterling Bowes, cornetist, Avery LaPoser, trombonist, and Cliff Holman, reedman in the band. It's time now for that feature of the program we call For No, for particular, no particular Reason. reason. 
You remember, that's where we play random records we've come across while putting shows together, which aren't part of a specific topic, but are nonetheless interesting, unusual, or for whatever reason are worthy of sharing. This edition of For No Particular Reason is going to span three segments, and here to start things off is Jack Payne. Thank you. 
doing the thing, because I say my best to the last. I'll give you just the highlights of this, my farewell blast.
Jelly Roll Morton and his Red Hot Peppers with Courthouse Bump, a Morton original from Victor 38093, July 9, 1929. Before that, I Want a Pardon for Daddy, written by Charles E. Rote, who also brought us Pal of My Dreams and What a Friend We Have in Mother. It took three sessions and ten takes, but Henry Burr, tenor, and James Stanley, baritone, finally got it right on September 16, 1926. The piano accompanist on Victor 20205 was Frank E. Banta. Before that, Big T, Jack Teagarden with I Swung the Election, written by Glenn Miller. Columbia 35206 was recorded July 19, 1939. We started this first of three segments of For No Particular Reason with Jack Payne and his Hotel Cecil Orchestra, with Jack himself providing the vocal on Tweet Tweet, written by De Silva Brown and Henderson, and not to be confused with Leslie Cerrone's I Lift Up My Finger and I Say Tweet Tweet. This British Regal 78, number G8983, was made September 23, 1927. I'm Glenn Robison, and the show is Rapidly Rotating Records. Continuing with this random set of records, here's Dewey Jackson's Peacock Orchestra. Thank you. 
White house of our own There's a garden shady For a proud first lady Free from care We two can share A white house of our own Though it's not the residence Of presidents or such Still it is the residence Where I can love you so much Not for only four years But for many more years You and I will occupy A white house of our own Thank you. 
not retire to a farm and be contented to charm the birds of the tree. Just disappear. I care for you much too much. And when you are near, close to me, dear, we touch too much. The thrill when we meet is so bittersweet that, darling, it's getting me down. So on your mark, get set, get out of
here's a jaunty little tune, the National Guard March, played by the Victor Orchestra on August 10, 1908. It doesn't sound to me like it would be written by Sousa, and in fact the Victor Ledgers credit the composer as Mrs. Ashton. Before that, Eddie Duchin and his orchestra, with a vocal by Stanley Worth on Get Out of Town, written by Cole Porter from Leave It To Me, his stage musical that introduced Mary Martin in her Broadway debut. That's from Brunswick 8252, recorded in October of 1938. Before that, Ted Fiorito and his orchestra with Muzzy Marcelino singing the Arthur Freed lyric to Joe Burke's tune, A White House of Our Own, from Brunswick 6493 in November of 1932. We began the segment with Dewey Jackson's St. Louis Charleston Peacock Band and Capitol Blues, C-A-P-I-T-O-L, as in a Capitol building. In this case, Capitol Blues refers to the steamship SS Capitol Deluxe, originally built in 1896 as the Pittsburgh. It was purchased in 1901 by the Streckfuss Steamship Line and put into service as a Mississippi River excursion boat in 1920 and renamed the Capitol. Dewey Jackson played aboard Mississippi steamships for most of his career, which started at about age 12, but also played on dry land. The SS Capitol was dismantled in 1945. Capitol Blues was recorded on trumpeter Dewey Jackson's 26th birthday, June 21, 1926, in St. Louis, and the vocalist was Floyd Campbell, drummer in the band. Continuing this edition of For No Particular Reason, Seven Wild Men are going to start off the final segment of the show. Listen, we're not crazy. Mule when his foot is in his sock. 
A flapper's knees are bound to freeze if her fur coat is in hock. I know an ostrich has no chest, that grandma never wore a vest, that elephants fly to their nest, oh my country, tis a vow. <laughs>
started this final segment of For No Particular Reason with Harry Reeser's Seven Wild Men. Most prominent of the Wild Men, Tom Stack, singing the Leslie Moore and Edgar Leslie lyric to Johnny Tucker's tune, The Lunatic's Lullaby. Harmony 193 was recorded May 24, 1926. You hear Joseph C. Smith's orchestra regularly on the show, but Smith was also a composer and The Lunatic's Lullaby was followed by Smith's orchestra playing Smith's first published composition, Coo Coo, recorded by Victor on June 5, 1919. Next was Jack Stillman's Orioles with Go Away and Don't Come Back from Path A Actuelle 36329, recorded around October 13, 1925. Jack Stillman was followed by the Teneva Ramblers with Seven Long Years in Prison. That Victor 78, catalog number 21406, was recorded in Atlanta, Georgia on February 18, 1928. The group was formed in 1924 by Claude Grant, guitar and vocals, his brother Jack on mandolin, and fiddler Jack Pierce. The Grant brothers were from Tennessee and Pierce was from Virginia, which is how I'm guessing they came up with the name Tenova Ramblers. For a short time, they were the backup for Jimmy Rogers, going so far as to change their name to the Jimmy Rogers Entertainers. 
They were scheduled to record with Rogers, but had second thoughts and went back out on their own. They remained active and were heard on radio until 1954. The Great Depression affected all Americans, but none more than the already vulnerable, and people literally starved to death. On February 16, 1931, the Harlan County, Kentucky Coal Operators Association reduced the wages of their employees, already in penury, by 10%. The miners responded by organizing a union and faced firing, eviction from their company-owned houses, beatings, and even death. A general strike was called, starting a conflict known as the Harlan County War, or Bloody Harlan. Sam Reese was an organizer for the National Miners Union, and one night Sheriff J.H. Blair went to Sam's house to shoot him, but not finding him there, ransacked the house and terrorized his wife Florence and their seven children. The next morning, Florence wrote a new lyric to an old melody, and it quickly became an anthem of the labor movement, which side are you on? In the early 1940s, Pete Seeger formed a band called the Almanac Singers with Woody Guthrie, Lee Hayes, and Millard Lampell. And in May of 1941, they recorded Florence Reese's song, Which Side Are You On? Here it is to close out the show. and I'm very pleased that you've chosen to spend this past hour with me listening to Rapidly Rotating Records. I hope you'll click in or tune in again next week, and as always, I thank you for your very kind attention.